Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Thursday, February 1st, day 118 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshel Dan here in our Jerusalem office with editor David Horowitz. Hi, David. Hi, Amanda. The country is holding its breath as we talk of a potential hostage deal. David will fill us in on what is seemingly on offer and how Israelis are responding to it. The U.S. State Department is reportedly exploring the possibility of recognizing a Palestinian state following the end of the Gaza War. We'll explore what that entails, too. All of this and more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if... What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Last night, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu met with hostage families amid a flurry of reports on a potential deal being examined by Israel and Hamas to free the hostages. Often these media reports this week have been somewhat contradictory, and we can't really know what the details are until it's set. But David, what do we know so far about the contours of the deal? You're right about the flurry of um, contradictory reports and and wildly different in, in many cases. So we don't even know really what we don't know. Uh, Nothing has been said officially. Um, I think Israel actually confirmed that on Sunday there was a meeting in Europe, which we understand was in Paris, with um, Israeli, Egyptian, Qatari, American, um, very senior figures, um, and that they agreed on some kind of framework. Uh, We think we know that the head of the Mossad, David Barnea, presented it to the war cabinet Uh, On Monday evening, it may even have been a nine-point deal, as reported in some places. But as to the specifics, we have heard, I mean, everything from um, an agreement under which in phase one, 35 hostages would be released. These would be, in some cases, it's been, the the, the mention has been made of children. Uh, In most cases, it has been a case of women, the elderly and the sick. Um, 35 hostages for a 35-day pause in fighting, and perhaps another week after that, during which they would attempt to negotiate on phase two. But very differently, there have also been reports that there would be something like a six to eight-week pause in the fighting, in the course of which all the hostages would be released. So we don't know between those two. And all sorts of very, very critical aspects, as far as we know, have not been resolved. The, the, the question of the other side of the bargain, apart from a truce, um, 
involves the release of Palestinian security prisoners. And we have heard wildly differing figures about what is anticipated. There's been an outcry uh, on, on the far right of the of the coalition um, from people like Batsala Smotrich and Itabar Ben-Gvir warning that a reckless deal or a deal for the release of, uh, of, of terrorists uh, could bring down the coalition. Netanyahu has said he won't release thousands of terrorists. Other unnamed sources have said nobody's talking about the release of thousands of terrorists. Hamas, we understand, has been seeking and will be seeking the release of maybe all the Palestinian security prisoners. Certainly, uh, they are reported to want the release of all who took place in the October 7th massacres and who are now uh, in jail in Israel. And on and on it goes in terms of the of the absent clarity. Or maybe what we ought to conclude, which I'm sure is true, is that this is an incredibly fraught process, that this is Hamas trying to maximize its leverage, that this is Israel grappling with a dilemma of needing to dismantle Hamas militarily, and needing to bring the hostages home. Um, so I think there are going to be more such reports. We try to get to the bottom of them, of course. It's very hard to when 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 people say contradictory things or don't say anything at all. Um, I, I suspect the main takeaway at the moment is that this is not near the culmination of a process where you know they're just round, rounding out the last you know edges, but rather a complicated, possibly protracted negotiation with a, a brutal, monstrous terrorist organization. And this brutal, monstrous terrorist organization seems to be speaking out of many different mouths. And earlier in the week, we had a report that said Hamas basically rejected the deal. And then later, we had a report that said Hamas is considering the deal because we're talking about different leadership in Hamas. Right. And you have various officials. Not all of this is anonymous. There have been named Palestinian people who have said things. Um, in terms of who really makes the decision, look, we don't know this, but I think the most widely credible assertion is that it ultimately comes down to Yahya Sinwar. You've got a guy in Gaza who orchestrated the architect of the horrors of October the 7th, as far as we know, still somewhere in Gaza, possibly moving around, according to some reports, because the army is closing in. Uh, quite possibly not in in my judgment because I don't know what's going on in Gaza and I'm not sure that anybody actually does and if Israel knew exactly what was going on with Sinwar you know I don't think he'd be moving around too much at all but I think ultimately it comes down to him this is the person who started this this horror horror process this this astounding nightmare situation that we find ourselves in and I think as long as he is physically able to, he is the ultimate address for what Hamas decides to do with the hostages and negotiations on, on, on that issue. Yeah, on Tuesday night, a television poll asked respondents whether they would support a deal that saw Hamas return 35 hostages in, to Israel in exchange for a 45-day pause in fighting and thousands of freed Palestinian terrorists. They found that 50% of Israelis would oppose such a deal and only 35% would back it. The rest were unsure. Of course, as we just described, we're not sure what the deal actually is, so it's possible that people would change their minds according to the number of days or the number of prisoners. But what do you make of that 50% opposing a deal? I make really very little of it, for, including for the reasons that, that you state. People were being asked to respond to something that doesn't actually exist at the moment. Uh, they were being presented with terms on, on the basis of which to make a decision that may not be the terms. And most of all, with some respect for polling, 
This was a snap poll carried out via the internet and a phone of 503 people who are ostensibly a representative sample. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I think opinion polling in Israel is unreliable at the best of times, and I don't think that that is a poll that's uh, being conducted with, you know, you know, I'm not a statistician and I'm not a pollster, but how you come to conclusions on the basis of 503 people who you phone or send a message to on the internet about a deal that we don't know about, I, would, I wouldn't take it too seriously. So perhaps I shouldn't even bring up the next uh, item, but... Listen, we reported it, Amanda, as, <laughs> as we should. People should know, but, you know, we should be wary. For sure. And according to that same poll, some almost 40% of people would be in favor of reestablishing settlements in the Gaza Strip and 51% against. Of course, this week we saw quite the extravaganza in Jerusalem on Sunday night in which thousands upon thousands were dancing and rejoicing at the idea of a return to Gush Katif. Do you think that these numbers are more accurate? <laughs> so I don't get to say I don't believe it on one question, but I do on another. No, I think, look, the polling in Israel, as as we've seen in so many elections over the years, a helpful guide, um, something that in, in, in cases, I, I think, affects how politicians go about dealing with things. They look at the polls and maybe they tailor their positions accordingly. You know, that's quite a striking number, 38%. So, you know, this poll apparently has a 4.4% margin of error. Well, if it's only a 4.4% margin of error, that's a lot of people who ostensibly support a return of settlement to the Gaza Strip. Uh, you know, I wrote yesterday, think a little bit about that. If you're going to bring thousands of people to, to live, civilians to live in Gaza, somebody's going to have to secure them. And that either means a very focused <laughs> Israeli army presence, or more likely it really means overall ongoing, very intimate Israeli rule in Gaza. Uh, does Israel want to rule 2.3 million Palestinians? Does Israel think that having a civilian presence in Gaza would make the country safer, even when you're stretching the army to a degree that it is already you know, having, ha having trouble uh, um, dealing with the various threats and and conflict on the various fronts so it's a poll i don't know what to make of it there'll be at some point there'll be some decisions that have to be made i think it's quite striking i i, I saw this morning that batala smotrich who was most certainly at that conference and is an advocate of a re of a revived jewish settlement in gaza saying um that's not one of the goals of the war you know, at the moment we need to dismantle hamas bring the hostages back etc etc we'll go to a short break You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So... Educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And we're back in what would be really a major shift in American policy. The U.S. State Department is reportedly exploring the possibility of recognizing a Palestinian state following the end of the Gaza war. Now, I heard Thomas Friedman from the New York Times float this idea on a podcast a few weeks ago, and now he's writing that the plan would involve some form of U.S. recognition of a demilitarized Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza Strip. They would come into being only once Palestinians have developed a set of defined, credible institutions and security capabilities. On Monday, also, British Foreign Secretary David Cameron said something somewhat similar. So what do you make of these two massive states saying this right now? Yeah, that's quite the question, isn't it? I mean, let's let's look at the American thing in in two components first. So the state there was a report yesterday, it was put to the State Department spokesman that the Americans were thinking in some context of recognizing a Palestinian state. And um, Matthew Miller, the State Department spokesman, somehow, and I read the transcript of the briefing, seemed to completely confirm it and really deny it. And if you you, you can look at, we actually linked to it in the story that we did um, about this process. Uh, he says, "Yeah, we're actively pursuing Palestinian statehood, and you know, we, we're, it's very serious. I, you know, I don't want to misquote him, but the word actively was in there, uh, and then." It was put to him, yeah, but hasn't the United States always actively sought Palestinian state? And he said, yeah. Uh, and you read, read the back and forth, you know, something, The question, it's really quite funny, except that the stakes are so high. Um, somebody says to him, well, basically for the, for the last 20 years or something, or and, and the questioner says, except maybe the years that, you know, Trump was president. Well, actually, in fact, Trump, I'm, I'm saying was pushing for Palestinian state within the context of, of his own plan. So at the on, on, at the official public level, and you know, it's been clearly stated this is an active American goal at the same time as it is stated that it has always been, or, you know, for many, many administrations. Then you've got Tom Friedman, who I think we we can say has the president's ear or, or vice versa, spends time with the president talking about his conviction that the Biden administration is about to unveil what he's calling a Biden doctrine, for resolving the entire Middle East crisis, including a push for a Palestinian state. And then, as you say, you have uh, um, the British Foreign Secretary, former Prime Minister, incredibly supportive of Israel as Prime Minister, talking about recognition of Palestinian statehood at some stage. The, 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 the semantics of so much of this process are so nuanced as to, as to allow room for almost anything. So Cameron, a few weeks ago, was talking about uh, we need, and I, I don't even want to start quoting again because every every single word can affect how you perceive this. But he'd been talking about the need for a sustainable ceasefire. Wrote an article about it with his German uh, um, uh, counterpart, in which at the same time he said this needs to be done right away. But but a ceasefire and a ceasefire right away is not what we're we're calling for. We're calling for a, a sustained ceasefire, and we don't think that's attainable right now. But it needs to be urgently sought. You get the picture. It is diplomatic. I don't know what grey nuance, the art of diplomacy. I don't know what to make of it. So two two things that you could say. First of all, in um, in Britain and in the United States, and I think most relevantly, urgently in the United States, you have an administration and a president who are supportive of Israel, heading for re-election, and worrying about alienating potential voters. And maybe there's a, a, a need to be seen, to be trying to do something strategic and, and truly game-changing to show this is not just blind support amidst a crisis, but rather a strategic goal of making things better in the long term. You might wonder whether the Biden administration 
um, and whether Biden himself have long ago concluded and only been reinforced uh, in in the notion that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is harmful for Israel. I think it's not it's not a radical thing to think that that's what the Biden administration, the president, his secretary of state, thought before sec- uh, um, October the 7th. So maybe they think this is a way to, I don't know, turn up the heat on Netanyahu. If so, in my modest opinion, it's the wrong strategy. The more that the United States pushes for Palestinian statehood, however nuanced, the more Netanyahu can credibly say to a mainstream in Israel, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm a, an opponent of it and have resonance for that stance. But I'm, I'm speculating. So American domestic needs, some kind of effort to marginalize Netanyahu, maybe they're in the mix there somewhere. And, and maybe the last thing I should say is to remind us that at Davos two weeks ago, President Herzog said no Israeli in their right mind is, is thinking about a peace process right now. And, and that's the truth. People like myself, for example, who, who believe very strongly in a Jewish and a democratic Israel as a, as a foundational imperative for this country, do not see how we can safely separate from the Palestinians right now because, even more because of October 7th, because of what, what hit us from Gaza and how it is received in the West Bank, according to the, the evidence and the polling and the facts on the ground and so on. At the same time, nobody wants to get into another West Bank situation. And if I'm remembering properly, this week, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said something along the lines that he sees the future in Gaza as being that kind of level of military, I don't want to say occupation, but military presence in Gaza. Yeah, so you're talking about getting into another West Bank situation where Gaza is concerned, and indeed Gallant spoke about that. I'm not sure what kind of timescale he was thinking that that would be the case for, maybe the foreseeable future, maybe the short to the medium term. But that is not um, a, a comment disconnected from reality. It really isn't. What we see in Gaza, and you know, we we base this on 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 the limited information we have including the fact that that our reporters are able to go into gaza every now and again and see what the army wants them to see in northern gaza in central gaza uh, broadly speaking the idea has shifted away from high intensity conflict and it as as had been sort of advertised and there were you know there's been news this week that i think was was misconstrued in some quarters as though oh my goodness northern gaza has flared up again the the, the army's gains are being uh, eroded and they're having to really ratchet up the i don't think that's the case i don't think i'm not sure i think the case is that much of the army is pulled back much of the Hamas organized fighting force has been uh, dismantled in the north and the center. But there are still loads of gunmen. So maybe there were, I don't know, 16,000 in, in north and central Gaza. And now there's maybe, you know, a few thousand not fighting in battalions, but still fighting, still capable of, of doing harm. And therefore, the army, like uh, Gallant said, in a kind of West Bank style, maintaining overall security control, I don't think we're even at that relatively lower level yet, but going back to areas, finding new infrastructure, recognizing that there are gunmen in this and that area. So when Gallant talks, you know, further ahead of some kind of West Bank situation where overall security control and the army goes in everywhere when it feels that there's something terrible that it has to confront, that's kind of how things might look. Uh, um, And that's kind of a good scenario. That's at at a stage where Hamas as an organized fighting force is largely dismantled. We're not there yet. We're maybe there yet in the north and the center. We're not there yet in the south. They're progressing in Khan Yunis. They haven't started really seriously anything in Rafah. Again, just to make this complete, 
reports in the last few hours of progress between Israel and Egypt in trying to find some coordinated way in which the IDF can tackle this last bastion of Hamas in Rafah at the foot of the, of the Strip with the potential for spillover into Egypt and all the complexities. David, thank you so much for your insights today. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.